if I look back, especially over the last three summers, it, I would call them wish I would have summers. I don't know if you've experienced that. It doesn't sound like you have, so maybe I'm just talking to myself this morning, uh, but I don't think I am. Where it had, I wish I would have done it differently. That you look back over a particular season of life and you go, it's a wish I would have. I wish I would have done it a little bit differently. I wish I would have taken, you know, more time to be with the family. I wish I would have done X or I wish I would have done this. And I don't know if you're, if you've felt that before, maybe in a particular season, but I've often felt that. And I've looked back over the last few summers and especially in planning this church where I go, I look back and had all these dreams and goals and desires for what summer could be or what a particular season could be. But when I look back at them, I realize it never actually happened. And I live with this, man, I wish I would have. I wish I would have taken more time to be present with my family. I wish I wouldn't have put so much pressure on myself to think that, that this one moment was going to be the be-all moment and everything had to be perfect. I, I wish I would have. And, and maybe you're there. And this morning, uh, this is maybe less of a sermon and more stuff I just want to say. Stuff I've wanted to say for a while. Some things uh, that I just think is important for us as a community and moving forward. Because here's what's really important. Is we all have seasons that are wish it would have seasons. Every single one of us. No matter, you know, it may not have been last summer. It may have been this last season. Or it may have been a little bit. But here's the thing that's, that we don't, uh, we don't long. We don't want. Is that we don't want to have a wish it would have life. That we look back at the end of our days and, and go, you know, I wish I would have invested more in people instead of just stuck in the rat race. I wish I would have done something that had significance instead of just kind of pursuing stuff that was of lesser value. And, and so this is, I think, one of those important subjects that we begin to just have a conversation with. Because at the heart of it is I don't want to be a church that has, I wish I woulda. Hey, we looked back on our church and did we do some cool stuff? Yeah, but I wish I would have invested more time in people. Wish, it wish we would have made more of an impact. I wish we would have seen this city changed as a result. And so we're just going to spend the next few moments in talking about how do we transition from, from wish I woulda to actually seeing those things, our dreams, desires, and who God's made us to be actually come into reality. I'm titling, I don't normally title messages, but I'm titling it this week, uh, uh, this Sunday, simply taking responsibility for your life. And so do this for me. This will be kind of fun. Just turn to the person next to you and just tell them, hey, take responsibility for your life. Would you just do, do that for fun? That's kind of fun, right? <laughs> For some, you're so glad where you sat because you've been wanting to say that to that person. You're like, I got it off my chest. Hey, take responsibility for your life. I, I, I think, not all the time, but most of the time, much of the time, the reason we enter in to wish it would have seasons, at least for me, maybe not for you, is because we simply, or I simply, don't take responsibility. It's not taking responsibility for my life. Instead of taking responsibility, we often cast blame, don't we? We often say, no, no, no. If, 
if they didn't do that, then I wouldn't have to pick up the slack. Or, or if they did their job, then I wouldn't have to do all this extra work. If, you know what, if this particular circumstance didn't happen, then I wouldn't be caught in the chaos. And much of the time, we experience wish it would have moments because we don't take responsibility for what we control. And, I, and here's what I know. I don't know. I know some of you, your, your circumstances in your life and stuff that you said or stuff that's been said to you and done to you, are, are, we would sit and we would listen to that story and we'd go, you have every right to just kind of coast in life, to fill the victim. But here's what we know. Even in that dark moment and even when we would hurt with you, the thing that no one can take from you is your choice in how you respond to your circumstances every single time. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, if he indeed is the victor, then we don't have to be victims and we can take responsibility and we can move forward. And so this morning, I simply want to unpack a few things. One kind of big idea that's, that's not going to be all that big. <laughs> How, how's that? <laughs> You're like, thank you very much. Big idea that's not all that big. Then, then I, want to, I want to unpack a passage that Jesus teaches, a, a new way of thinking, and then some just, just basic application. The big idea that's not all that big, I don't think it's all that revolutionary, but if we actually embrace this big idea, it would revolutionize your life. It's simply this. No one can do for you what can only be done by you. I told you it wasn't that big of an idea, it's, but it's, it's not like revolutionary. you you're like, well, thank you very much. Did I wake up this morning to hear that? Yes, you did. And I think actually God wants to speak to you through this. No one can do for you what can only be done by you. Here's what happens is we tend to abdicate or blame others for stuff that only we can do. Let me give you a few examples. No one can do for you. Uh, let's take exercise because this is easy. No one can exercise for you, right? Exercise is only what you can do, right? No one can exercise for you. You have to exercise. It can only be done by you. Let's uh, eating healthy, right? We get this? You're on the same page? No one can eat healthy for you, right? Eating healthy can only be done by you. Now, no, 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 no. That also applies to big areas of life, not just exercising and eating. No one, no one can be fully present for you. Only being fully present can be done by you. You can't ask someone else, hey, be present with my kids for me. Hey, be present. Only you can be a great friend. You can't ask someone else to be a great friend for you. No one can do for you what can only be done by you. No one can take time to rest and recharge for you. No one can steward your time wisely for you. 
See, this is so important. When you begin to embrace taking responsibility for your life and my life begins by identifying what I must do and I only can do. The question we have to ask is, what is it only I can do? For those who are parents here, God gave you to be their dad or to be their mom. No one else can be their mom or dad biologically. Don't give someone else what only you can do to do stuff that others can do. And we do that all the time. And we trade lesser things or trade greater things for lesser things. Go, I, I got to get the business just right. I got to get these sort of things all in place. When I get this, then I'll finally, I don't know. Take, taking responsibility for your life begins by identifying what one can do for you and doing what only can be done by you. So let me just tell then a parable how Jesus unpacks this. How, how he unpacks this principle, because believe it or not, this, this is actually a big deal to God. Taking responsibility, God actually is going to hold the, us responsible for taking responsibility. If you got your Bibles or your you know, smartphone or tablet, open them up to Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the talents, and it's an interesting passage as Jesus begins to unpack, here's what kingdom life looks like. Here's what life looks like following Jesus. We would say it today, here's what it means to be a, a, a fully follower uh, of Jesus, one who's like a part of an awakening church. Like, this is what every person who says, man, I'm in, I'm a part of the movement, embraces. He says, again, Jesus writing, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Now, he's given them a picture of what is a spiritual principle here. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now, a talent in that day uh, was a, a sum of money. In fact, it was a, a about a 6,000 denarii, and a denarii is just a, um, a day's wage. And so I did some rough math to kind of put it into our, um, our our economy today. And I just said, okay, if a day's wage is, you know, we go kind of real basic in this area, $15 an hour, which many of you make way more. Some of you make a little bit less, uh, but let's just go $15 an hour and say a day is eight hour a day. Okay. And, and then you times that by 6,000 that, that, so one talent is $720,000. Two talents then would be $1,440,000. Five talents would be $3,600,000. Now, I'm not going to be able to remember those numbers, so let's just make it easy, because if you make $20 an hour, it's going to be $1 million, $2 million, or $5 million. And, and so this businessman is going away, and he's got guys who's, gonna, uh, who's going to, um, what's that called? I just manage his money. Thank you very much manage his money. 
And he gives them each. And so we kind of think about, okay, just one talent. Well, let's think about it. What if somebody gave you a million dollars? Okay, let's just go to 15, $720,000. That's not bad. That'll get you in a starter home here, you know. It will. But think about it. If someone, I was thinking about this this morning, if someone handed me a million dollars, there's two thoughts that immediately went through my mind. Uh, The first thought was I would be so grateful to that person. I would be incredibly honored that they would think that I am trustworthy enough to steward that amount of money. I I would be uh, humbled and overwhelmed, not really sure uh, what I could, you know, do if I could really manage that amount of money well. And I'd also think highly about that person. I'd be like, wow, you're amazing. Here's a million dollars. Steward it well. The second thing I would do is I would ask them, what do you want me to do with the million dollars? Because at the end of the day, I realize it's not my million, it's your million. I actually didn't make this money. I was just given this, entrusted this money to steward this money. So, so how would you want it to be steward? Now, we transition from the parable to real life. Every single person, you have been entrusted by God with God-given talents. And it's way more valuable than a million bucks. Every single person has been entrusted by God with God-given talents. And you're way more valuable than one million, two million, or five million dollars. You've been entrusted by God with time. Amount of time, and time is your most precious commodity on the face of the planet because you can't make more time. You can make more money. You will never make more time. You've been entrusted with the amount of energy and effort, amount of creativity. You've been entrusted with natural abilities that, that your brain just works a certain way and some things come really easily. You've been entrusted with, with spiritual gifts that God deposited in, in you and said, hey, I, I've uniquely made you and I'm going to empower some things that, that supernatural results happen as a result. You've been entrusted with resources from money to cars and houses. We've been, by the way, we've been entrusted with where we've been born. We didn't get to choose where we were born. And yet we take it so often for granted and think of it as a right instead of a privilege, as something that we are owed instead of something we are entrusted with. We are born somehow for some reason, well, not all of you were born because I know some of you weren't born here, but you're now here. You're here in America. And that's a great, great stewardship. A privilege that should be leveraged for the good of others, not for just the good of self. So he gives these guys, gives these guys these talents. And he goes on, and he goes on work. He says, then, 
the one with the five talents, he went, uh, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five, said, Master, see, uh, you entrusted me with five talents. I've gained five more. And And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I wouldn't call that a few things. God's economy, that's a few things. This is a massive spiritual principle. He's entrusted a little to you. He says, I will put you in charge of many things. Faithful with a little. When you're faithful with a little, you can also be faithful with much. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man with two talents said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. There we see it again. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, now, here we go. Verse 24, the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. I went out. And hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I had not sown, gathered what had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money at least in a deposit with bankers. So then I would return would have returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take from him and give it to the one who has ten talents parable of talents. This is incredible, incredibly important for us as a community because here's, here's the truth of the matter. Both individually but then corporately, we have been trusted by God with God-given talents. This community has a unique entrustment. I mean, just look around you. I don't know one church in the Bay Area that has this demographic. And we, we're beginning to span the ages, but reaching a generation that no one else is reaching. Entrusted by God with God-given talents. No, 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 no. You, <laughs> taking responsibility for you, I have to remember the theme, don't miss this. You are responsible for investing wisely what's been entrusted Did you, did you see that? I mean, from, from God's perspective, at some point, all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And you know the question he's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? It's that question. What did you do with what I gave you? Were you, and here's the, not famous, not influential, were you faithful? That's the call. Taking responsibility for your life and for my life and for us as a church is being faithful stewards of what was entrusted to us by God. But here's what we do. Instead of investing wisely, we look around and go, yeah, but they got five talents. 
They're a two-talent person. God, you only gave me one talent. And so we compare with everyone else looking at what they got and what we didn't get and complain and go, oh, I wish I had five talents, but I don't. I just have one talent. So I'm just going to dig a hole, put it in the ground, because what can I do? God said, no, 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 no. One, one talent is a lot, by the way. So there is no short change. Two, the question is, are you investing wisely what's been entrusted to you? Uh, the question that I think we have to ask to keep from having a wish I would a summer, a wish I would a life, and keep us from being a wish I would a church is are we spending or investing our life? Are we simply spending our life as money that comes in and goes? Or are we investing, expecting a return? When you look at your time, how are you investing your time? When you look at your energy, and by the way, energy man management is just as important as time management. How are you managing your energy? Do you have energy for the things in life that matters most? You may have time, but no energy. You still won't get to it. How are you investing the talents and the skills that God's placed in you that it might leave a legacy and make an impact? This is what you're put on the planet for. How are you investing the resources that God's given you? Am I spending or investing my life? I, I, I think to truly invest our life, we got to have a little transition in thinking. I'm going to go over this quick because I spent a lot of time on that first part. But the Apostle Paul in uh, the book of Corinthians, in Corinthians chapter 13, he writes, it's the famous love passage. If you, if you know that passage, you know, where love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it is not proud. That passage, right before he sets it up, and he, he's telling the Corinthians about how to live a life that, that, is, that is full, how, how to make sure you don't have a wish I would a life. And he says, and now I'll show you the most excellent way. And in that whole passage on love, he, he unpacks that there's this transition for us to fully be living it out. He, he says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me to truly live wisely, to invest our lives fully to take responsibility for what we've been given and entrusted. There's this transition in thinking. And I don't know if you remember the day when you began to change your thinking from child to adult, but I remember one day so clear because I knew the day was coming when I couldn't cuddle with my doggy. And my doggy was a stuffed animal doggy. It wasn't like a, a, you know, a real doggy. I was 10 years old. And I just felt like I had older brothers, so it's like I'm, I didn't want to be the baby. And I remember taking my doggy and putting them up on the shelf. I mean, like, this is like marking. Like, I, I'm, I know I have problems with stuffed animals now to this day. And I put them up on the shelf. And I remember grabbing my mom because I was just crying. And then I just pointed to the doggy, and she's like, take that down. Put that back in your bed, you know? I'm like, okay. <laughs> but in, intuitively, I knew 
And intuitively, you know, there's a difference between thinking like a child and thinking like a doll. There are times when certain things are okay and celebrated and when you have to put that away and move on. And I would argue there is a time, we're three years old as a church this September, to put childish ways behind us, stop thinking like a church plant, and start thinking about how we can make impact. Right, there's time for you as an uh, individual, as an adult, and stop thinking like, well, when I get older, then I'll actually make an impact. Then I'll do something. No, no, no. Now is the time. Sub point for you today is to put the doggy on the shelf and start to go, yeah, it's hard, yeah, it's different, yeah, it's a change in life, but today's the day when I'm going to put childish ways behind me and start living like an adult. It's the difference between immaturity and maturity. Let me just outline maybe for you, and you can see it, a, a difference between child and adult. A child in regards to time thinks time is infinite. Facts say things like waste time, have all the time in the world. And in fact, if you ever said this, you, I've said it before, so don't feel bad. Uh, just what are you doing? Just killing time. Adult understands time as finite, that it's limited. There's a limited number of days, and, and at some point, your days are going to be ending. You're not killing time, but time is actually killing you. A child, in regards to values, they value tangibles, what you can taste, see, touch. It's all about possessions, toys. It's now. It's always about immediate gratification. An adult, in regards uh, to values, values intangibles. It values people, relationships, legacy, delayed gratification. An adult's able to understand and go, you know what, I can hurt for now because it will be better in the future where a child doesn't understand that concept. An adult, in regards to resources, understands all their resources as mine. It's all about mine. These are mine. It's a me-centered reality. All, uh, all for and about you. An adult understands their resources as manager. I'm just a manager. I'm a steward. Now, if you're not even a follower of Jesus, you, uh, this, is, this is true. All these are true regardless. Because here's what you know either way. Ultimately, you will hand your stuff off to someone else because you can't take what you have with you. The question is, will you do it intentionally or reluctantly? Manager, steward, Begin to manage and steward because it's not actually yours. You got it from somewhere else already. A child in regards to, to focus, on, they're focused on their self, my needs, my desires, my feelings. Well, what about me? Come on. And you hear this all the time. You owe me. I deserve it. An adult understands that life, their focus is about others. Uh, no greater time, I think, do you experience this reality than when you have a baby. And we've had a lot of babies join our family, the awakening family, that is. Because your life is completely focused around this baby that is 100% dependent on you. And forever, it's not like you just added a baby, your world changed. And you realize life is meant to be lived when it's about others, for others about their needs, their desires, their feelings. A transition in thinking is required for us to actually live full lives, to take responsibility for what God has given and entrusted you. Because all of this, by the way, no one can do this for you. 
No one can change your thinking for you but you. You have to begin to go, okay, I am going to put the doggy on the shelf today. It's time to grow up. It's time to take responsibility. No one can do for you what can only be done by you. And so I just want to apply a few things for us as a community. It's really, I call it taking responsibility for your spiritual growth. It's, it's how are we as a community really taking the talents that God's entrusted us with and investing them well. And I just have five things. And what you'll find is really this is our, what we call a profile of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus. These are the things that you'll see us, and we've been spending a lot of time figuring this out. But these are the things that we're going to partner with you, that we would be the church God designed us to be, and that you would be the man or the woman God made you to be, that you wouldn't live, that we wouldn't be a wish I would a life or church. Five areas to invest in and how we're going to partner with you. The first area is that of a contagious faith. No one can do it for you. Faith. No one can do it for you. This is what you have to begin. And it's not just any type of faith. It's not a fanatical faith. I was just at the U2 concert on Monday, hence the shirt. I'm pretty excited. There's some, some generous friends helped me go to this lifelong dream for me to go to U2. Anybody? I know a couple people. Who also went, went to U2? A couple people. Yeah, yeah. Nick day after. Um, all the shows that go down to the SAP Center, there's one guy there. You ever, you've seen that guy there? He's always on his bullhorn yelling. Helping us. He, he, I, I had this incredible conversation with the guy. We're talking. He, he's spiritual. He's, he's into Jesus. He's just not into the church. And as we're talking about this whole deal, and he's like talking about, hey, you know, I'm thinking about checking out Awakening sometime. I'm like, that'd be fantastic. Uh, and then, then this guy's like yelling hate and condemnation. And, and he, he looks at me. He's like, what's that all about? I mean, is that you guys? No. And I honestly said, I, I think he's motivated by a demon from hell. Um, and I do. I do. I don't, that's not godly. That's not good. I don't, I'm not going to judge his intentions or motives, but it's turning people off to a Savior who died for them and didn't yell at them. A Savior who was silent and others hit him and said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. See, a contagious faith is a compelling faith, not a condemning faith. Is your faith compelling or not? I love how Paul said it. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. It's not just faith, and it's not just getting out there. Faith is a confidence that God is who he said he is. He'll do what he said he'd do. That you trust him and go, God, if you're calling me, if you show me, I'll do it. And I'm going to do it in love. I'm going to do it in generosity. I'm going I'm to love people so well because I've been loved so well. A contagious faith. Would you take responsibility? This isn't, this by the way, isn't our responsibility. I have some people come up to, to me and go, when are you going to? I'm like, I can't do this for you. We can partner with you though, but I can't do this for you. Awakening can't do this for you. At some point, you got to put the doggy on the shelf and you go, you know what? I want a contagious faith. I'm going to step into that, but we will partner with you. 
And the way we are doing it, and this summer is just outlined. I just, um, over this five application points, I'm just going to give you, and they'll go a lot quicker than that. Uh, some of you are like going, five, good Lord, Ryan. He is good. Um, is in August, uh, we're doing a series. We, we, we're retitling it the same. We called it a few years ago called Stereo, Good News for a Listening Generation. But we're bringing in Dan Kimball, who wrote They Like Jesus But Not the Church. Uh, looks like we also have John Dickerson, author of um, The Great Evangelical Recession. He, looks like he'll be in on that. We're bringing in this summer, all throughout the summer, incredible people to learn from, to help partner with us, to, to help teach us in how we can live this out. You don't want to miss that. Uh, it's, uh, in, uh, in August, contagious faith. And the second area, taking responsibility an area to invest in life-giving practices. Hebrews 12, 11, my dad literally made me memorize this as a kid, and I was, I hated it. <laughs> and I, I would encourage you, we'll, we'll ask this at, uh, I think, our parenting series, I think on Father's Day, but look back maybe for some on growing up, some of the things you hated your parents do, but you're so thankful they did. I don't know if you had that, but if you had parents where you look back and, and then go back and just thank them, would you, you know, because... It's hard for them to. My dad made me memorize a lot of scripture. No, this is one of them because I was really undisciplined. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, remember delayed gratification, adult thinking. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I used to hate running. But in the life, you know, ministry, eating out a lot, I got fairly overweight. I needed to work out. So I just started running. I hated it. Every step, hated it. I love running now. There was a season where my knee got hurt and I couldn't run for a couple months and it was, it was dreadful. I can run again and I'm, so it's just refreshing. There are some things that are disciplined now that will be refreshing later, that will be life-giving later. Life-giving practices. Getting into God's word where you go, you know what, I, I'm going to do the discipline of getting in God's word, hearing from him and obeying that. And it may be hard at the front end, but as you do it, it would be life-giving. Getting into, I'm a journaler and that doesn't have to be work for you, it works for me. I didn't used to like it, but then I started doing it. That's a life-giving practice where I, I pray my prayers as I write them out. Uh, getting away with God. We do this retreat every year uh, at the uh, Seascape Resort in Santa Cruz, and, and everyone talks about, man, that one hour was so good. And I go, but you can do that on your own. We give them an hour to just be with God. Would you take responsibility for your spiritual growth and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage in life-giving practices? In fact, one of the practices that we're going to do is summer study. We want to help grow your heart, soul, and mind. Summer study, we have four courses. Uh, Theology 101, really foundations. Theology 201, talking about the broader story of God and the whole narrative of the Bible. They're doing loveology, relationships. You go, I'm going to engage in these. Workology, figuring out how to integrate work and uh, your faith. And we're doing some stuff for the kids and all that. But you go... We can do all this, but unless you engage and begin to get after it, it doesn't, it's, it's just activities at that point where you go, okay, I'm going to, I, I want to have a contagious faith. 
I'm going to engage in life-giving practices. The third one is extravagant generosity. We just think these, this is the profile of a follower of Jesus. Contagious faith, life-giving practices, extravagant generosity. Jesus talked about this a lot, and we actually do a series every year around this, and we committed when we started this church, we're going to be an extravagantly generous church. And we're going to be extravagantly generous to this campus. And we have, you look around at all the vegetation, that was you all. You all. People come on this campus and go, wow, it looks amazing. It looks like a college campus. That's because Awakening Church is on this campus. And you guys sacrifice your time and resources. We love the teachers over and over throughout the year and throw parties for them. We were able to give $40,000 to Haiti, $10,000 to Peru, because we said at the core, we're going to be extravagantly generous because we have a God who is extravagantly generous to us. How can we not? How about you? And by the way, no one can do that for you. No one can do that for you. And, 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 and you're kind of waiting, well, I, it's not the right time and leverage all the... Start small and just begin to give generously. And if you're not, this is just for your own soul's sake. So if you go, I, I, don't, I don't trust that Ryan guy, his weird blonde hair. He shouldn't have blonde hair at his age. But okay, <laughs> it's natural. Just saying. <laughs> give somewhere else. This is just the profile of a, a disciple, extravagant generosity. Number four intentional relationships, both inside and outside the church. Intentional relationships. And they have to be intentional. Because we drift, and we never drift to a better version of ourselves, and relationships never drift to a better version of themselves. They have to be intentional. Jesus said this, a new command I give you, that you love one another in the way that I loved you, so you must love one another. And now, I love this, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. I want you to think about this, both in the community of God, those who are followers of Jesus, and those who aren't. I'm being intentional. But just think, if we took God at his word and all the one another commands, I don't know if you've ever looked up all the one another commands in the New Testament, fascinating study. Go to Bible Gateway and just type in one another and you'll see all of them. But just imagine if we were a church, if we were a community that took seriously this one command, the impact we would have in this area, just because people may not believe in this Jesus who died and rose again and all the stuff we believe in, but they just saw the community we had and go, I don't know what that's all about, but I want to be a part of intentional relationships like that. The one another commands like be devoted to one another. Man, they're devoted. I don't, I don't know, but they're devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Man, you know what? They have some conflicts, but, but they work it out. They're at peace. They're, they're not griping. Bear with one another. You know when they go through a hard time, they bear with each other. Be kind and compassionate. Man, they treat each other so good. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Don't slander one another. Don't grumble against one another. Be hospitable to one another. Those are all in the Bible of what this type of community looks like for us. And it's not just going to happen. It takes us saying, as a community, amen. Intentional relationships. Amen. When I show up on Sunday, it's not about me. It's about the person I don't know. My heart's going to be engaged. I'm going to look around for someone who's not. Just imagine if we just did that on Sunday, what would change here? 
God brings people to our church every single week that have never stepped into a church and they still haven't because they're on a high school campus. And if we just loved well right here, contagious faith, life-giving practices, extravagant generosity, intentional relationships. In the area that we're partnering, especially intentional relationships, kicking off this series, The Art of Family, and going, okay, there's no more relationships that we need to be, there's no other relationship we need to be more intentional than with our families. And helping whether you're single and learning how to do family well, that's so important, but especially parents, how to do parenting well. And we're bringing experts in. I can't stress it. We have a great stewardship Phil and Diane Comer in two weeks are going to be here, lead Intentional Parenting Conference. Nancy Ortberg, author of um, uh, the Rubber Band book. I, I can see it, but it's something, uh, The Power of Rubber Bands, I think. She's a phenomenal communicator. My dad, which speaks a lot to what I think of him as a dad, which is worthwhile to hear. It's coming. Intentional relationships. And finally, meaningful ministry. Meaningful ministry. We are God's handiwork. Steve's actually going to teach on this in the month of July. We're doing a, a month just for you and who you're designed to be. And Steve, who wrote the book, I mean, our own Steve, we sang Happy Birthday, wrote Relational Intelligence. He's going to take a month and talk about your blueprint, your God-given design, and how you can be, step into who you're made to be here and in your life. But you'd step into it. No one can do it for you. We're doing in just a couple days uh, uh, missional community training. And you're going like, intentional relationship, that's missional community, getting in a smaller community. But also we need people who lead those types of community. And you go, man, I, I don't know how to do it. Great, welcome. Most of us don't. Let's come learn together. Check that out. No one can do for you what can only be done by you. What is it only you can do? Question, I want you to wrestle with this summer. Are you spending or investing your life? And what would it look like to invest your life? I gave you five areas that I think are the core fundamentals of being a follower of Jesus, of investing your life in. Contagious faith, life-giving practices, extravagant generosity, intentional relationships, and a meaningful ministry. But no one can do it for you. You can sit on the sidelines and blame others and complain and go, well, I didn't. Or you can step in and invest. And we can move from a church that's just kind of doing some neat things that's making an impact that will forever change this city and this world. That's what I want to be a part of with you. Let's pray. God, thanks for this time out here. Thanks for the moments to sit in your creation. And, and I just pray for each person here that you would give them the clear next step of what they need to take for this summer, that you would keep and guard us from having a wish it would a summer, that we would move intentionally uh, to what you have for us. God, I pray for those that are going on missions trips and, and going on, on crew trips, that you would just use them mightily. And for those of us here, that, that we would grow and this would be a summer that just develops us as a community. We'd look back, summer 2015 was the minute we moved from immaturity to maturity. 
We began to put some childish ways behind us, and we saw you show up and do stuff in us and through us we could never dream. In Jesus' name, amen.